Scorp is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold and a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. He's got it. 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect score. 10.0 for Dasha Kamenici. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone it is off the podium and olympics podcast coming to you today for another fantastic interview episode we teased this last week that we're having a sport that we've never covered before sport that involved a basket and a ball if you thought it was rugby then you might need to check the rules of that sport because of course it's basketball and we are speaking to two-time Australian Olympian Mariana Tolo played in the 2016 and 2020 Olympic Games for Australia for the Opals of course who uh, maybe some people aren't familiar with of course the Opals is the nickname for the Australian women's basketball team and this is a, a fantastic chat with Mariana she talks a lot about getting into the sport growing up in far north Queensland the popularity of the sport in that part of Australia, what drew her to moving to Canberra, her very successful WNBL career, her WNBA stint, her time in Europe, and of course her Olympic experiences from narrowly missing out in 2012 to playing in heartbreaking losses in 2016 and 2020. So covers a wide range of elements to this interview and it is a great chat. I will quickly add that there are parts of this interview that are a little bit difficult to listen to in the fact that uh, just some outdoor interference. Mariana was in beautiful Launceston, the only time I'll probably ever utter that phrase in my life, and uh, outside. So there was a bit of a wind issue at a certain point in this interview, but we fixed that, and it is uh, much more listenable towards the end. So just a pre-warning that there is a section of this interview, a little bit wind interfered, but uh, you can still hear it. So otherwise we wouldn't have edited. But anyway, Mariana Tolo, two-time Australian Olympic basketballer. Our chat with her begins now. Very excited today for our next guest and off the podium because it's always an exciting day when we can cover a sport we have never covered before on this show and we have our very first athlete from the great sport of basketball. She is a four-time WNBL champion, played in the WNBA with Los Angeles Sparks, a world championship bronze medalist, a Asia Cup silver medalist and, more importantly for this show, a two-time Olympian. Uh, it is a pleasure to welcome to Off the Podium, Mariana Tolo. Mariana, first of all, it's a pleasure to have you here on Off the Podium. Did I miss anything in that introduction there? Oh, uh, no, that's about sums it up. That's about <laughs> sums it up? Yeah, all right, just good. just wanted to clarify there to make sure that I hadn't missed anything important uh, with that there. But it's I'm excited that you're our first guest from basketball. I don't know why it's taken us so long to get a basketball athlete on the show. What's wrong with me, Mariana? I feel like this should have happened years ago. Yeah, I don't know. We must be hiding in all the right places. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just don't, just don't want to to chat. But it's obviously a, a great sport. Uh, all Aussies love the sport of basketball. But uh, I'm always intrigued to find out sort of the journeys of athletes, how they got into the sport. I mean, was this something that you had grown up playing that you sort of got into early, late? I mean, kind of what was your journey that began you in the sport of basketball? Um, so I started playing basketball when I was about eight years old. I'd done lots of individual sports before swimming um dancing even tennis a bit of golf <laughs> and my parents you know I was always pretty tall and so as a tall kid they were like oh do you want to try a team sport this time how about basketball and I was like sure let's give it a go and um I actually had something on so I had to miss the first practice and went straight to a game and kind of just fell in love with it from the first moment I played it um here we are I was eight, now I'm 33, so <laughs> wow. still can't, can't get me off the court. Which, I mean, that's obviously the obvious question for, I guess, most basketball players. Oh, did you play basketball because you were tall? But, I mean, obviously there's lots of different sports where I guess height could be an advantage with it. But, I mean, is that – do you get sick of being people say, oh, you're tall, you must be a basketball player? I mean, it's just sort of a jump. So you could have played netball, you could have played a bunch of other different sports because of your height. 
I think it's probably also because of the town I was in. So I grew up in Mackay, North Queensland, and basketball is pretty big there. And so I think it was a more visible sport. Um, and so it was just kind of the the natural progression for me. I guess my parents grew up and um, lived in Europe. They came from Bosnia-Herzegovina and basketball is a big sport there too. So I'm sure that's kind of what they knew. And um, and so, it, yeah, it just made sense for me to try basketball also because I was tall. <laughs> <laughs> Which also, I guess, far north Queensland. I mean, I guess growing up, you still would have had the, uh, the crocodiles still existed, obviously the taipans. I mean, sort of, is that... It's, it's interesting that that is a, sort of a very popular sport in that period, but, I mean, they've sustained two teams for quite some time in the NBL. Obviously, only have the one now, but, um, yeah, it's clearly a popular sport in that region. Yeah, definitely, and the WNBL team, the Townsville Fire, have been there for many years also, and so um, it, is a, it is a popular sport in that region. I don't know why, I guess. Um, you know, when I grew up playing, we played on outdoor courts as well. It was very hot wow. and um, in the sun, but... Yeah, it was just the thing that you did. And, um, we've had a pretty good legacy of players to come through, you know, from Mackay. Around my age at the moment, we have me, Clint Steinel, Todd um, Blanchfield, all representing Australia at different points. And um, before before me even, there were, there were quite a few went through the AAS. And look at Sandy Brondello, she came from Mackay as well. Um, and then there's numerous athletes from Townsville and Cairns also. So, yeah, I guess you could call it a, a big sport in North Queensland. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that. Which I mean, with all the sports that you're mentioning, obviously getting into basketball, but was the Olympics something that you sort of strive to? Is this something that you watched as a kid and thought, "Hey, that's something I'd like to do one day"? Yeah, definitely. And specifically, I remember the moment that I knew I wanted to go to the Olympics for basketball. Our teacher was in year five or six, I think, and he was going around asking us what we wanted to do when we were older. And I said. I wanted to go play basketball for Australia. I wanted to go to the Olympics. And so that kind of started off the dream. And obviously watching the Sydney Olympics was a big part of that as well. And I, our class actually, um, I remember we wrote into whoever we wanted at the Olympics and I chose basketball, obviously. <laughs> but the, I chose a player, um, Michelle Griffiths. At the time, and I based it, I think, on my best friend's last name, embarrassingly. <laughs> but what's funny is I wrote into her, and I didn't know until last year or the year before that Michelle Griffiths, Griffiths is a maiden name. Her married name was Michelle Brogan, ah. who I ended up actually playing with my first ever um, Oceania Championship with with uh, um, Michelle Brokes. And so, wow, yeah. That's it's a pretty cool to come full circle and riding to someone at the Olympics and then actually playing with them for the first time when you represent the Opals is is very special. Which I'm sure they're getting lots of fan mail during an Olympic Games, but I mean, did did you bring that up? Does she remember who you were? I or? actually haven't even seen her um, since I discovered her her wow um, name had changed to Brogan. So yeah, I haven't brought it up with yet. I'm sure she probably didn't even get it or see it or anything, <laughs> but it would be funny. I, next time I see her, I will for sure. It could, it could be on a wall. It could be an inspiration that helped her. You never know. It could be the quite, the, the yep. quite opposite, <laughs> which yep. incredible to think. Which, I mean, it also, it's. I think it's important, obviously, with the history of basketball in this country for the Olympics. Obviously, a lot of people talked up the Boomers winning bronze in Tokyo last year. But, I mean, in that period of time, 96 in Atlanta, the Opals obviously won bronze, our first ever basketball medal, silver in Sydney, and then ultimately, what, five medals in a row at the Olympics the Opals did between 96 and 2012, which was huge for the sport. I mean, I can imagine as well for, for a young female growing up in the sport to see that exposure that the Opals are bringing as well. That can only help that drive to go towards an Olympics. Definitely. It, it makes it so, so special to see that Australia was so good at basketball and that we were getting onto the podium so frequently. And, you know, from talking to past players now, we realize it wasn't easy to get there. They had to put in a lot of work um, and travel on some amazing trips in order to get themselves into the position where they did medal. Um, it was hard and, and they were so tough and they kind of changed the story of basketball in Australia. And I know even the Boomers players have been watching the Opals and, and being envious of us and our success. And that's kind of driven them as well and um, inspired them to, to do well. And, and we're so proud that they got to get that bronze medal. It was awesome. And we know that they've got great things to come as well. 
you you moved to Canberra in 2006 uh, with the AAS, I believe. I mean, what's that move like from Mackay to Canberra? I mean, just the weather alone, I can imagine you playing (laughs) outdoor courts in uh, far north Queensland to the city that's basically the coldest city in Australia. I'm from Hobart and that's saying something. So Canberra, not not exactly on the level of Mackay and the weather stakes. Yeah, it was definitely a shock to the system, the weather for sure. And, you know, being a tall girl, I... Um, you know, it's funny coming down to Canberra. I'd never really had to buy shoes before. Like I just used to walk around in thongs, thongs or basketball shoes. That was it. <laughs> so coming to Canberra, I was like, where am I going to get shoes from? I, just, I don't know. <laughs> I've got big feet. Sell them at normal shops. So yeah, that was a bit of a shock. And, you know, it was an adjustment coming down and living without the family for so long. Luckily, I'd been exposed to, you know, having weekends away and weeks away with nationals and basketball camps and that sort of thing. But, yeah, to live somewhere else for 12 months of the year um, for a couple of years, yeah, I'm sure it was a shock not only for me but my family as well. Um, I have an older brother and younger sister and, and yeah, they would have – I'm sure miss me, um, but I, I it was a great opportunity for me, and I couldn't miss out. I knew I wanted to play basketball for the Australia to go to the Olympics, and in order to do that, you have to make sacrifices that sometimes. And for me, as a 16, 17 year old, it meant you know going away from the family, living somewhere two thousand kilometers away, um, not getting to see family very much. But it it meant I got to train against and with some of the best players in Australia at my age and play against um, WNBL players and play under some some great coaches as well. And that progression then when you do eventually make it to the WNBL with the Capitals, um, you know, you're living in Canberra, you've been there for a couple of years, but when it comes to getting drafted at that point, do you just sort of take, like, it's, a team wants to draft me, I want to take it, or can you be a bit creative and go, well, no, I'd love to play for Townsville. Like, you know, if they've, if they're interested in me, I kind of want to go home. I mean, how does that work when you're first drafted? Yeah, so um, when time came that the AIS, that my time had finished, I'd actually got an agent, Warren Craig, who's my agent to this day, and um, he helped me navigate that space and to see who was interested and needed a post player like myself. And there were a few teams um, that were kind of interested in me, and so and Townsville was one of them. Um, and so I, I had to kind of do a pros and cons list of what I thought of each, you know, different different place and their uh, environment and what I thought would give me the greatest chance of success. And for me at that time, um, the Canberra Capitals had been really successful. They, you know, won a number of championships. The, the coach uh, was likely to be the next coach of the, of the Olympic team um, in Cary Graff. And... And they had some really good post players in my position. So Abby Bishop, um, Lauren Jackson, you know, Tracy Beattie, there were some Peter Sinclair, there were some really good solid post players. And I knew that if I went there, it would give me the best chance to develop and to make the Australian team. And so that kind of, I guess, overruled everything, everything else in my books. I knew I could study there at the same time, but it was just the perfect situation for me um, to, to get better. You've done all right with that, I think, a couple of championships with the Capitals. I mean, that, that has paid off, I think, in spades in the long run, right? <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, I probably didn't get to appreciate those first two championships as much because, you know, you're so young and you just I came straight out of the Institute and won two championships straight away. It's, it's very fortunate. It wasn't until, you know, it was a bit later on and putting a new team together and, and you got to realise how hard it actually is to to win um we'd made a finals a couple of times before that we'd missed out on finals by one game and we lost one game by one point so it was like later on that for the those last two championships that I won that I really appreciated how hard and special it was to win a championship for sure and around that period too when you're making the WNBL obviously a bit of national interest you know played in the junior team but then sort of the senior team around then too I believe you trained in 2008 with the Opals as well I mean how close were you to to making the Beijing team or was this something that it was more about the experience and then you wanted to use that towards say London in 2012? Yeah I think 2008 realistically I I wasn't going to make it it was more about the experience and getting to train against the best and 
and train with the best in Australia. And so that was a great experience for me and it opened up my eyes about what it meant to be an Opal and what it meant to represent Australia and um, to see the toughness and the grit that all the girls sh- showed. Um, and, and yeah, and then, so it kind of shifted my eyes to, to the next big Olympics, which, um, was 2012 in London. Which obviously, unfortunately, you, you don't make the team having been part of the team during the Olympic qualifying and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we like hearing a lot of stories from our guests about obviously overcoming a disappointment that can somehow spur you on towards yeah. the next goal. I mean, did you sort of use that as an opportunity, narrowly missing out on London to to recover and go towards Rio? Or was there sort of a, a period there where you thought, you know, what am I doing? This is tricky. You know, do I want to continue? Because it's a long time, four years, obviously, to try and commit to a, to another Olympics. Absolutely. Um, I think missing out on that London team was one of the hardest moments of my life because I trained um, so hard for that four years leading up. I hadn't missed. I missed actually one day. But um, four years and wow. haven't missed any training camps in, in that whole preparation. And so um, that was heartbreaking in that you, know, you did all these things, tried so hard, but you just weren't good enough um, or it wasn't the right moment for you. And so that was really challenging. I is this what I want to do? I thought about giving up. Um, it, it kind of yeah, it really broke my spirit for a while there. And it was a hard moment in my life because I'd been training, working and playing all at the same time. And fortunate for me, I'd made the decision um, to the end of 2012 to go and play my first season overseas. And so I was going to play in Aix-en-Provence in France. And I think that was the best thing that I could have ever done because that season really made me fall in love with basketball again. And it opened my eyes up on what it could be and, and should be to play and just enjoy yourself. And I, I, yeah, I just had the best time. We had a good group of teammates, good coach, and um, it kind of eased that that shock and the disappointment of not making the team um, and made it easier for me to transition. And it changed my thinking on to like, okay, what am I going to do next? What happened last time? Where did I go wrong? what can I improve on? And I think the first biggest thing of that is just the experience that I got to have from playing overseas and um, playing against a whole nother uh, group of players, experiencing a whole different system of basketball, a different um, life, a different culture. It, it just made me way more rounded and I got to do things that I had done before and yeah, really in- improve my game on the court for sure. And um, that was part of the plan for the next one because the, then it was about setting my sights on on Rio 2016. Which it's crazy. I love watching careers of basketball players because obviously there's such a level of got to make it to the NBA, the WNBA, you know, that's the be all and end all. But then Europe exists and the the passion and the, the competitions that exist in Europe, uh, I, I feel more people need to pay attention to because it's absolutely crazy. Obviously, you've played in both the WNBA and in Europe, but I mean, can you compare the two? Because it just seems like a different world in Europe compared to what you have in America on a different level, I guess, completely. You know, to be honest, I think after playing um, in Australia, Europe and the States, I actually prefer the European or the Australian style of basketball. I think US is kind of like what you see in the NBA. It's very much star-driven. It's a lot of one-on-one basketball. It's kind of a bit more individual, whereas um, Europe and Australia is a bit more fundamental. They break it down. They focus on defense a bit more that suits me a lot better. Um, I like to play that style of game where it's team-driven sport, it's team basketball. And so I love that. And um, I think, yeah, being in Europe really helped me in that sense. People don't really understand how big it is over there as well. It's a huge sport, especially in France. You know, even after playing this last season in France, I reflect and think, you know, I got to play almost 50 games in the WNBL. Something if you're lucky. So it's just like a whole um, another level of experience that you get to get. And 
just playing more games equals way many more opportunities to get better. It's it's so again fascinating to hear that style because again it's sort of I don't even really know how much coverage European basketball would get sort of outside of maybe on Eurosport or something like that here in Australia because it is so focused on the WNBA and of course the the NBA so it's it's interesting to kind of hear that style and is that sort of a more of a common trend now for a lot of players that it is sort of maybe trending towards playing in Europe more so than America to have that style? Because is that also more international style that you will have versus what you do have in the States? It definitely is more international style. Um, the US is kind of pretty unique, I think, in terms of how they play. Um, there's a lot more teams that make it from the European area that get to play at a world championships or Olympics. So you got kind of a more similar style and more chance of coming up against those sort of opponents but saying that I think actually the trend at the moment is for players to um, stay home in Australia and play in the WNBA in the offseason as well I think that has definitely been more common lately Um, and if players can get that it's great because that's a whole other amount of games that they can play in, in both seasons um, but I, I do really encourage players to go and experience Europe when they can. And there are a few actually going over this season, which is new in uh, Alana Smith, Darcy Garbin, um, Alice Kunick's been over there for a few years. Uh, Maddie Garrick's going over there this year. There's, there's a few players going over now, which is interesting to see. And it kind of always comes in cycles, you know, depends on the Olympic cycle cycle world championships because you don't really want to be making big changes before massive events so um so that's kind of yeah it kind of goes up and down sometimes with when players choose to go through that period playing overseas europe america 2016 comes along you make the team you're officially on the team after you know narrowly missing out london what's that feeling like when you get that moment i mean i don't know if it's the official announcement you get after the opals qualify you kind of assume you're going to be in it this time around i mean what is that moment for you like when you officially know you are going to rio well it was even maybe even more special because fortunately i'd been selected for the team to go to world champs 2014 but in 2015 in my first wnba season I just before finals, I injured my knee. I went down and knew straight away that I'd done something wrong. Um, I knew that if I'd done my ACL, that would be a nine to 12 month recovery, six to 12 month recovery, really. And so I sat on the court when I was, when I was injured and feeling my sore knee and I thought, oh no, what have I done? And I started counting the months and it was 11 months out to the Olympics. Mm. And I thought, I have some time here. I can do this. And it turns out I did do my ACL. And so I had to do rehab 11 months out from the Olympics and try and come back in time for the biggest ever event that I could go to. And fortunately I had a great team around me at the Australian Institute of Sport of physios and strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, and put a plan together for me to come back. And I worked my butt off um, trying to achieve my dream that I'd been working for since being a kid and got to make it back on court within eight and a half months and that moment was pretty special in itself. And then when it came to the final selection and being told that I was going to the Olympics, it was just, it was just unbelievable. I, I was so, so happy. And you could see from the coaches faces because they have the tough job of deciding who gets to go and who doesn't get to go to the, to an Olympics. And you could see that they were just so excited for me and could tell how excited I was. And it, it was just such a special moment that I will never forget. And is it a case of that at that point you feel like an Olympian? Is it when you get the uniform, when you arrive in Rio, when you hit the court? Like what moment does it hit you completely that you're an Olympian? I think for me, because that camp that we had where we were selected for Rio Olympics, for me that moment was when we had the media announcement. We got like our bag with our gear and stuff before that. We put our uniform on and then there was the media announcement where all of us that were there um, were announced to, to make the team and, and that's when it really hit and it felt so special and um, and then when you get all the people uh, writing to you on, on social media platforms and messaging you and that sort of thing to say congratulations it, yeah that was an unbelievable unbelievable moment 
do you then get the fan messages that perhaps you've got some young girl who sent you sort of a telegram thing that she's going to be on the squad in a few years' time and, <laughs> you know, it's going to be kind of full circle what you're talking about before with Michelle? Well, that's actually one of my favourite parts of being at the Olympics and what I loved about Rio, Rio so much was um, the Australian Olympic team decorated our rooms with posters of, of um, pictures that the kids from all over Australia had drawn and written about and they posted it all over our rooms in our in our um, residence where we were staying at the Olympic Village and that just just was so heartwarming to see all the kids you know writing all these um, <laughs> special things and doing their drawings and some were hilarious and some were really touching and it just showed you what an impact you can have and um it kind of was a great reminder of what you can do and the barriers that you can cross with sport. And, and like you said, it's that cycle of that next kid who's drawn that poster or written that story and then they're going to be there next time thinking the same thing about the kids before them. Yeah, it's always great to kind of see that come full circle with that. We also always love to find out just general Olympic experiences outside of the competing, you know, village life, uh, you know, ceremonies, bumping into, I don't know, big name athletes. I mean, do you soak that up first time in Rex? Obviously, it was a very different experience in Tokyo, which you weren't to know at the time. Yeah. But I mean, sort of, were you doing a lot of that back in Rio or thinking, now nah, I've got a few more of these, I can you know worry about that at my next Olympics? To be honest, um, when we're in Rio and, and still in the group phase, and that sort of thing, everything was kind of focused on playing and training and that sort of thing. But you did get to walk past all different athletes and meet athletes from all over the world. And um, my favorite one was uh, when there was a group of us, myself, Leilani Mitchell and, and Steph Talbot walking towards the dining hall. And I see two people walking, coming towards us. And one of them is Raphael Nadal. Oh, wow. And so Leilani <laughs> and I are just, uh, they're like, we sm he smiles back at us. We say hi and then walk on our way. I'm elbowing Steph Talbot beside me because she's looking off in the other direction. Hasn't even paid attention to miss him. <laughs> wow. Jeez. It was, it was it was so cool. Um, and he seemed like a, you know, normal average guy, like the rest of us, you know, but, um, it was so cool to see someone that you see on TV all the time, just at the peak of their performance and, and yeah, just there walking past you in the village was really cool. Which is crazy to think that that happens. I remember Steph Rice telling the story a long time ago about the thing in Beijing. She bumped into Kobe Bryant and got the picture, you know, whereas I guess for, for you girls, it's just like, ah, they're just our colleagues, you know, like, you know, whatever, like they're just fellow basketball players. But like you see someone like Rafael Nadal or, you know, Usain Bolt or someone like that, like it's a whole different yeah, world, right? Exactly. And I think it's interesting because the basketballers are often some of the most popular people at the Olympics, which is strange for us because like you said, there are colleagues who are like, whatever. But if you like the last Olympics in Tokyo was Luka Doncic and um, some of the other players from all over the world, they are the ones that people recognize. And I guess it's mm -hmm. purely because they're on TV playing in the NBA, making millions of dollars um, <laughs> compared to some other people. But saying that it is the likes of Rafa and Usain Bolt, those special um, one of a kinds that that you don't get to see that if they do go or are part of the Olympics. Yeah, it's really special as well. Which is kind of when you hear those stories back when the Dream Team used to what, hire a boat basically away from the uh, Olympic Village basically, you know, which yeah, I mean, surely I the Opals are deserving of a boat, aren't they? You've done, you've done pretty well over the years. Yeah. Surely. We can't. <laughs> no, it's actually funny because I think the US team, I can't remember whether it was the last one or the one before the Olympics, they had a cruise ship for the whole US team. Um, but apparently it was quite small <laughs> and the <laughs> basketballers were struggling to, to fit. I can imagine. That's It's crazy to think just sort of the efforts you go with that sort of stuff. But then it's also great that, again, you've got Rafael Nadal just, you know, how you going, Rafa? Good, yep, yep. How's the chicken? Good, yeah, I'll try it. Yep, sweet. You know, yeah, thanks for that. It was good for lunch today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good luck. Good luck for the rest of the Olympics. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the Olympics didn't turn out too well. Uh, the end of it, you know, undefeated in the group stage and then going out to Serbia in the quarterfinals. Similar question what I asked before when it came to the missing out in London. Do you take... A little bit of time to recover, obviously, after the disappointment of going out in the quarters to then spur you and your teammates on that, okay, look, we've got unfinished business here. We're going to come back in four years' time and, and go better, go back to where we think we should be. Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing that you have to do is kind of allow yourself time to grieve 
And I did that when I didn't make the team for the Olympics. And then also, again, for bowing out in the qualifiers because it is such a tough moment. It's um, heartbreaking, something that you have worked so hard towards your whole life. And, you know, to be part of that legacy that has been the Australian Opals and they have done so well at the Olympics on and on and on for the last five Olympics. And then you get to your chance and you lose and it's just heartbreaking. It's embarrassing. You kind of um, are ashamed and, and, you know, you've done everything you could, but at the same time, it just hurts so much that you want to be, um, doing everything you can and you have but sometimes it just doesn't work out and and it's hard to deal with and I'm so lucky and grateful that I had my family there at Rio and I could lean on them a lot for support um and then the other one good thing about about that is that when we did lost it actually gave us a good opportunity to go and see other sports and watch other competitions and kind of experience that Olympic life a bit more um, and that was really fun. I, I remember going to a handball game and just being wow. amazed yeah, by, by that sport and what they did and their strategies. And it, it was so cool. I loved watching it. Um, I think That's, it was Croatia versus Hungary or someone like that. And yeah. That would be incredible. Like, I mean, God, if I ever got to go to the Olympics, that'd be seriously top of my list of sports I'd want to see because it's an insane sport and just the passion that comes from those European nations. I mean, that must have been absolutely incredible to watch. It was, it was. And just the, the whole strategy of like when they, uh, I can't remember which team it was, but they kept pulling their goalie off and throwing an extra offensive player on there. Um, mm. Whenever they would run down an offense, but then transition, they'd have to sprint back in case they the opposition had to throw a long bomb at the goals and the goalie wasn't there. So he'd be running there. Oh, it was incredible. And it was a really cool experience to, to see a different sport um, because, you know, yourself, you're, I live and breathe basketball and I, I don't really watch or see anything else. And, and to be, to be able to be opened up to another whole other world like that was pretty cool. It did seem something in Rio though, about all the team sports. It wasn't just an Opal thing. It was all the team sports that Australia sometimes rely on in the Olympics just didn't have the tournament. We saw that with the, the water polo, the hockey, obviously the boomers fell just short as well. So, I mean, it just kind of seemed to be sadly something in the air in Rio that all of our team sports just didn't quite do what maybe they thought they could do. Yeah. I don't, I don't exactly know what it was. Um, and we remember listening to and watching the, the water polo quarterfinals we were off to a practice and we left practice and I think they were down and then ended up losing the game and we were all heartbroken and it kind of you just kept hearing that over and over again and it was like I don't know whether it was because of that that we all kind of snowballed and um crumbled or whether it was just something just the circumstances or the way that the sport had been um but I think that's also the beauty of of sport in the world. I think it's just getting better and better, better. I think Australians have been underdogs and punching above their weight and then had kind of gone unnoticed, but now everyone's kind of waking up to us and how we play and, and don't take us as easy as they perhaps did before. And it's definitely the case for basketball, but yeah, I'm not sure with other team sports around the different sports. Yeah. Fast forwarding to Tokyo, obviously a very different Olympics completely, obviously delayed by a year and everything that happened with that. But how hungry were, particularly say yourself and the other members of the Opals who had been at past Olympics to kind of do what you couldn't do in Rio? And how com- how was the confidence amongst the group sort of heading into the games that you could finally get back on the podium after missing out in Rio? Look, I think we were all um, really excited this time around. And for those of us that were involved last time, we definitely have that in the back of our minds. Um, unfortunately we didn't have an ideal preparation one with COVID and not being able to get together as a group and play against other teams, but then also the drama that we had in the, in the lead up to the Olympics, um, with one of our players and then getting Sarah Blitzovs back in the team. It was very, um, turbulent and tough. And, and so unfortunately, yeah, we lost a few of the round games. It was kind of the opposite story to, um, to Tokyo where in Tokyo we were so dominant in the round games, won all the round games and then lost in that quarterfinal. This time we were struggling from the start and we, we lost that game against Belgium. We won a couple, but then again, close one to China, we lost that. And that put us in a really tough position where we had to beat 
Puerto Rico by a certain amount of points to even be able to make the quarterfinals. And luckily we were able to pull that out. Um, but then it meant that we had to play against the US in the quarterfinals, which is ne never really what you want because they are the best in the world and they have been for forever. So, um, yeah, it was really, really challenging. That game against Puerto Rico, I believe we were on air recording when that game was on. It was what, oh, no. 25 points you needed to get through. Um, you yourself scored 26 of those points, Maris. I'm just saying you you carried the team, let's be honest. We'll, 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 we'll be there. But, I mean, the, the fact that I, I love is like you do it, great, you're in. But if you had a, what, lost by – if you had only won by like one point less or two points less, then you would have, what, played uh, – it wouldn't be the US, it would have been uh, Spain. So, like, it's kind of – Different paths, different. I mean, are you? I guess you don't know the mass of it. You're going. We just need to win by twenty five. Who cares? You're not going. Well, we better not win by twenty seven because we don't want to play the US, right? Like you don't know all of that. Yeah, like we did. We knew we had to win by twenty twenty five. Um, more than twenty five. So we all had that in the back of our minds, and I think that was part of the problem when we started the game. Everyone kind of knew where we had to go, then just didn't focus on the way we had to play. So. Then eventually we finally started hitting our straps. We started racking up the points. And when it gets into situations where you, um, if you lose by this or you win by this and you end up playing this person, I feel like you can never play with the basketball gods. Mm, yep. <laughs> if you try and play to lose, to come up with a good matchup, I feel like you will always lose. So you just got to put your best, best foot forward and play to win. And I think that's what we did. And, you know, we gave it our best shot and ended up losing. But, um, yeah, who knows what would have happened otherwise. But it, does it almost feel, I can imagine, it felt almost like a final, like a medal win, that game against Puerto Rico, though, to, to get to that stage. And it's also, I guess, a case you've, you've built that momentum, you've shown what you could do. So, yeah, bring on the USA. Come on, let, let's do this. Exactly. And if you want to get a medal, um, if you want to win the gold, you got to beat them at some point anyway. Yeah. So you know that, you know, to be a worthy opponent, you have to come up against the best in the world. And, and that's what we did. And unfortunately, we weren't the best on that day. But, um, yeah, we did put our best foot forward. And we didn't go into that game like it was an easy game that we were going to lose. We knew we had a chance and we could beat them with the team that we had. We had beat them in the practice game before the Olympics. And, and so, yeah, we went in there optimistic. But, unfortunately, it wasn't the day for us. Is there much chirping and sledging going out on the court and I, like i'm not trying to disrespect our americans who are listening and watching this but i can imagine the americans are probably a bit guilty of that i can see a bit brash bit sort of you know out there are they renowned for that sort of stuff on the court um sometimes i feel like but saying that because our, a lot of our girls have played in the WNBA and have like built up relationships with the players and, and teams like in the u.s it doesn't really happen so much. It's more of the case when there's players they don't know of or heard of or seen things they don't like. That's when they get a bit um, chatty and, and sledgy on the court. But you don't, to be honest, you don't often see it that much in women's basketball. Um, I think that's more of a men's game thing. <laughs> but is, is there a country though maybe outside that you want to, you know, name another? Like is there one that's kind of, you know, okay, well, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are you being a bit chirpy here? If, if anyone, it would be the US. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, it's, it's sort of that. I just I just wanted to pitch that. majority of the people listening and watching this are in the US, so I feel we've got a good enough relationship there that they can sort of uh, do that, which, I mean, obviously, you know, two Olympics down, haven't achieved the medal. I, I can imagine that third Olympics on the cards, you, you're looking towards Paris, you played in Paris, you went back and played in France, of course, uh, since the Olympics as well. So it's a, it's a country that you're quite familiar with. So... Is this clearly the goal right now, what you're working towards now? With less than two years, of course, now to the Olympics. It is definitely the goal. Um, and, you know, I have chatted to Kayla George about this, who's been my teammate last two Olympics as well. And we grew up playing together. We went to the AIS together. And before Tokyo Olympics, I was like, Kayla, come on. You got two more in you. Do this one and the next one and then we can finish and then we'll be good. And... I think from then she, she kind of came around a bit more because I think she wanted to originally finish after this one, but she's feeling good and great. And, and so I think, yes, that's definitely the goal for me. I'm working towards um, Paris 2024. Super excited about it for the reasons that you said that I've been in France. I've played in France um, four seasons now. I know the the the, the, 
country and the, a bit of the culture and um, it's a great place to play and they love their women's basketball um, and get really behind it. So I know that everyone will be well supported when we're over there. And like we said, I've had the disappointment of the last two Olympics, you know, the first one losing that quarter final game by one point was just absolutely heartbreaking. And then all the drama of Tokyo and, and, you know, definitely not the tournament we wanted. I feel like Paris is really our chance to, to get back to where we want to be and to, um, you know, put our foot, best foot forward as the Opals. And we really have got a great chance of getting on the podium and, um, I think the first step to that will be this home world championships in Sydney and hopefully, you know, we can learn some good lessons for that. And then we've, it's such a short turnaround, only a couple of years away now. And I, the excitement's already building to be honest. Um, and I know that, you know, if I go, if I get the chance to go there, it will be my last Olympics. And so I'll definitely want to go out on a bang and it's no longer about making the team, you know, it's about actually getting a medal and doing the Opals and the history and all of Australia proud. Well, I was going to say, will it be your last Olympics? Though? Because you look what's after that, LA, you know, you played there before, but after that, Brisbane, <laughs> it's a home state Olympics. I mean, Lauren's, I what, 41 now? I mean, you, you've still got a couple of years. I'm like, you can do it. That's doable. I know. I know. Look at Lauren. No, it's yeah. like, you know, I've, I'm honestly feeling really good, but I think it's just a point in my life that I'm – priorities will change and I want to settle down and have a family and, and that sort of thing. So um, it'll be about doing that. And I don't know, I guess you can never say never. Maybe I'll come out of retirement and then give it come another out crack. Of retirement, have a break, <laughs> you know, miss LA then. Yeah. Screw LA. Come back to Brisbane. Like that's, that's, you I know, know it's, uh, down the road from a Kai, right? Come on. <laughs> In Queensland, a home Olympics. How amazing. But I think I'll definitely look forward to being involved in some way. Um, at those Olympics, how exciting for Australia that Brisbane gets to be the host. And um, I know I was, you know, being in North Queensland at the time when I was a kid for the Sydney Olympics, I, I was um, sad that I didn't get to experience anything down in Sydney, but this time being a bit more independent and older and able to go where I want, I think I'm so excited to be able to, to go to Brisbane and help out in any way I can. Well, you mentioned the World Cup. The time recording this, uh, obviously, it's uh, very close. Time releasing this, uh, it's it's over and done with, of course. So we're saying great gold medal win. It was fantastic. But I mean, <laughs> having that in Australia, obviously, is is a massive coup for the sport in general for for women's basketball. The attention and everything that it's getting in Sydney is, is fantastic. But I mean, I can imagine right now you're, you're incredibly excited to be playing in front of the the home crowd. Australians will get behind anything like this. And uh, how how is that looking? How are you feeling? Lauren's on the team. I can imagine that's a big boost as well. I mean, how's everything looking ahead of the World Cup? Yeah, everything's looking really well. We just had a camp in New York um, with Coach Sandy and, and all the players and the team's been selected now to go to the World Cup. And it's really exciting because, like, it's getting real. It's only a few weeks away until we start preparing and start playing some practice games leading into the World Cup. And, you know, the feel from the camp, everyone has been getting on so well together. We've been making some really good strides on the court and, and you know, working through our strategies and, and what we're going to do and how we're going to play. And I think, um, yeah, we're giving ourselves the best shot we can to to do well at this home, home World Cup. Um, this year in Sydney and I'm sure from all the things that we've seen online I hope there's a lot of people there out supporting us and I think Lauren being back in the team is definitely going to help that she's boosted um, spirits from all around Australia people just amazed that she could she could do that and credit to her she's done a great job to get back into the team so um, yeah so it's really exciting and i think all of australia is going to get behind us i hope <laughs> yeah no very much looking forward to uh to seeing how that all plays out before uh mariana we get to some questions that we wrap up every interview with just sort of get to know you fun style questions two things i want to touch on first of all jersey number i always love this in team sports when it comes to uh picking a a jersey number uh explain your choice of jersey number and then how hard is it when you get to a new team that you want to keep that number but sometimes obviously somebody else has probably got it so you can't always keep that number yeah it is it's a tough one um i like when i'm playing for australia to be number 14 uh i guess firstly because when i started growing up playing in Mackay, you got your number according to your 
height, basically, mm-hmm. your size. Mm-hmm. And I was the second tallest in the team, so I'd always get number 14. And it's perfect because my birthday is the 2nd of July, 2nd of 7, 2 times 14. 2 times 7 is 14. Um, and, and yeah, my, yeah, and that's great. But, and then I also um, try to different, differentiate with opals to club teams. So normally if club team, I'll ask for number 12 because that was my first number with the caps um, because it was available. And so ever since then, I've kind of just stuck with it. But at the same time, I'm not too fussed. Like if I come to a team and someone who is a veteran ahead of me have played there for many years, respecting them, they get to have the number and I'll just choose whatever feels best next. But when I get to choose, it's 14 or 12. <laughs> it's not superstitious, right? You're not kind of like, oh, I need this number. Like I'm, you know, No, gonna... no. I, I think a lot of people are. A lot of people really like to have their number. I'm not so much like that. It's, it's okay. Like oh, I think I'm happy to have a number on a team. <laughs> <laughs> Which must be pretty cool then, though, if you're at a game and you're looking at the crowd and somebody's wearing like 12 or 14, like, you know, they're wearing your German. That must be a pretty cool feeling to see that. Yeah, exactly. And I know that's the reason why a lot of players like to have the same number over and over again, because then fans don't have to buy different jerseys for every different event that they're playing at. And you know that that player is going to be that number. So, um, yeah, it is really cool to see that the crowd. And whenever I do see uh, a Tolo jersey out there, I, I feel <laughs> be privileged <laughs> <laughs> the other thing i wanted to quickly ask about uh i believe you're a, a bit of a fan of gemstones and silversmithing <laughs> which uh, I, i'd love to learn a little bit more about this passion where did where did this come from and is this something that post an olympic career you want to sort of pursue a little bit more um so i kind of started exploring this area because when so when i was a kid um my family took us out to the gem fields in queensland and because dad uh, whenever he would have some time off when he was working, he would go and, and hunting for some gems like sapphires or opals, that sort of thing. Um, so when we were a kid, we went out, went camping and went looking for gems. And I always wanted to go back and see what it was all about. And so I did a couple of years ago. Years ago, I loved that. Went back with mum and dad and we went out camping to the gem fields, found a couple of sapphires. And and so then I wanted to explore if there was anything else like closer to Canberra around there. And so I signed up to the lo- local lapidary club and which is where you go to learn um, how to cut stones. And so I learned yeah. how to, how to cut opals um, and, and grind them. And then, that yeah. Works. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was going to ask you, is there opals involved somewhere? I guess that kind of fits. Yeah. And so, so that was really cool. And then, gone on some field trips to to hunt from different gemstones and then from the club there's different skills and um there was a lady who's a silversmith and she taught me a few skills and so I started learning how to make a little bit of jewelry and that sort of thing and and so it's kind of been a bit more of a hobby and I actually haven't had a chance to do it I want to do it while I'm here in Tassie um go look for some sapphires because there's a couple of good places but i haven't really had a chance yet hopefully i get some next week um but yeah it's just something that i like to do in my spare time uh is yeah searching for gemstones and and going to the local lapidary club if i if i can and making some piece of jewelry there's a, there's a business in there opals made by an opal like i mean <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's ever been done before Mary. like that you that know- sells itself you know, I love um, those shows on TV, the Outback Opal Hunters, and I would love to go on the show and yeah. look opals there. It would be so cool. I think that, that I mean, right now, if there's a producer listening, I mean, come on, that <laughs> is just, that is perfect television right there. Having an opal, search for opals, then making, oh, like, I mean, seriously, come on, that, that there's money in that, plenty in there. <laughs> yeah, please too- hit me up. If yeah, you've got please anything. do. I'm not, not too sure about the hunting in Tasmania because I think it was – I remember being a kid going to – is it Derby where they have like the uh, the mine, like the follicking you do for gold and that sort of stuff I remember as a kid. And then West Coast, uh, there's more mines that way, which um, – Yeah, yeah there's, so around, there's around the spots. Derby areas where there's some sapphires as well. So right. that's mainly what I like to look for and um, have found in the past. So, yeah. I should admit, like, I mean, you mentioned being a Tassie. Like, it's, it's weird how for so long on this show I've been the only Tasmanian connection – Recently, we had uh, Richo on cha- Jason Richardson of Channel 7, and he's born in Hobart, that we learned. And we're about to have our first uh, fully fledged Tasmanian athlete on in uh, very shortly. But it's unlike in this all of a sudden Tasmanian connection, even though you're in Launceston, but that's fine. But, uh, you know, like, how, how do you find Tasmania? Is this sort of your first visit, or you've obviously been here a few times playing basketball before? 
Yeah, I've just played a few games here in Tassie before, um, playing in back in Seaball and NBL one. But uh, I love it. And I'm sad because I, I haven't had uh, much of a chance to explore. There's so many different things I want to see and do, including go to the wineries and mm-hmm. cheese places and chocolate places and some of the great um, produce that you have around the country. But then, like we said, the Fosking. But then there's also high hikes that you can go on, waterfalls, caves. There's so much I want to do and see, but no time. <laughs> it's just such a shame. I'll have to come back another time and, and really explore it a bit more. Um, but yeah, I have idea. been down here playing for the Launceston Tornadoes and that's been, that's been great. We're into finals and, um, congratulations. Got, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We've got one this weekend in Melbourne against Nutter Wadding. And if we win that, uh, possibly two more games. Um, so yeah, really exciting. And they, they get pretty decent crowds from what I know of, don't they? The tornado is very well supported, obviously been around for quite some time. So a passionate basketball fan base. I also get a couple of Jack Jumpers games up there now as well. So yeah, they, they love their basketball in Launceston. Yeah, it's great that they support basketball down here so well. Um, I think, yeah, getting behind the women's basketball team at Lonnie is is awesome. We get lots of fans here to the games, and I think they're even considering getting a WNBL team here at some point right. in the future, which would be awesome and it would work well with the Jack Jumpers doing so well in their NBL season. It's just great to see. Um, the people of Tassie getting behind basketball and when they haven't really had that opportunity much before. So, yeah, it, it's awesome. I'd say it's a matter of time for they get the WNBL team based on, yeah, how everything's changed with uh, the Jackson. I mean, I grew up, you know, Devils and um, everything. I can't remember the name of the, the women's team we used to have in the NBL in the 90s, but, um, yeah, grew through all that period. So once we get behind a team, it, it, it just takes off, right? So, uh, you know, that's the passion that we have down here in Tassie. Uh, Mariana, as I said, we wrap up all our chats with a bunch of uh, fun get-to-know-you questions. Now, as always, based off a Team Canada questionnaire they gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. And again, as always, there is, if you wish to, it's a, it's optional, a drawing element. If you want some homework and you want to flick mm-hmm. us some drawings afterwards, we can share on social media. Uh, we've had a couple of athletes do it before. But uh, the option here is to draw a picture of yourself, uh, draw a picture yeah. of a Canadian animal. Um, it can be an Australian mm-hmm. one. Um, and what is the coolest Olympic medal? Or what would the coolest Olympic medal look like? So, again, you're in Launceston. I, I need to have one Launceston joke. There's not much to do there, so you might feel like drawing. So um, if you oh. want to, feel okay. free. Flick it through to us. But I'll get with the questions and I'll start with, if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Ooh. Any Olympic host city, where would it be? Mm. I mean, my favourite city that I've ever been to is Barcelona. Ah, so they could have but the Olympics had back. It well, they can have it back. Yeah. Paris is having it for a third time in a couple of years. Barcelona yeah. had a great games, so <laughs> so I think be happy with that. Uh, but I'm about to live there too, so ah, um, well. close to there. So how about I think in Mackay? <laughs> They'd probably sink with the Olympics, wouldn't they? I'm not sure that would work. Oh, the, the whole town would be flustered. There'd be so much going on. <laughs> um, oh, it's a tough one. Maybe Perth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They haven't had it before, and their sports mad mm. over there. That'd be cool. That the Commonwealth Games, I think, in the '60s, but yeah, not the uh, mm. the Olympics. That would work. That would work. Barcelona um, bid for the the Winters not too long ago. They tried oh, to they uh, do what Beijing did and be the or first uh, summer. New Zealand or Canada, I reckon. Mm. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to either of those countries really exploring before, so <laughs> so that'd be great. In my, I interest. like this mindset to go there, so you can have to visit them exactly. Exactly, so either that, New that Zealand works. or Canada. But yeah, New Zealand deserve an Olympic. Come on, like I mean, you know, it's like Auckland would be a great city for an Olympics. They could definitely that'd handle it. So yeah, that would work. In your spare time, what do you most like to do? Um. Well, either, like we said, foster king, gem hunting, that sort of thing. But I do like watching some Netflix um, more casually. Probably Any recommendations? That. Anything you've watched recently that you would recommend? Watching The Sinner at the moment, season four. Because ah, okay. we in Europe, that wasn't out yet. So I was surprised to know that it was already here. Um, so catching up on that and haven't caught up on Lock and Key yet. Uh, but Plenty. Uh, 
Yeah, there's plenty I of mean, options. There's, there's lots of options. <laughs> Depends what yeah, you're into. Yeah. Exactly. But I like exactly. a bit of you know sci-fi, a bit of um, true, oh, like crimey kind of shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Which is then you lose track of like how many also streaming services Honestly. there are too, right? You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. like, well, what am I watching now? Netflix, freaking Stan, Binge, whatever the hell they are, right? Like, you know, why hasn't someone just invented like some app that keeps them all together? Like, you think that's the most obvious thing, right? Yeah, that would be a great idea. Yeah. Then yeah, you basically you know, just got pay TV. You just basically got Foxtel, right? It's the same thing. So uh, yeah, that's, like, true. that's why true, I don't work true, in TV anyway. Um, <laughs> what is the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you? Um, <laughs> I had a coach not that long ago say, "Just be big." <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> Thanks for that. Okay. Yep. <laughs> great. Easy. Yep. Done. I'm cool. big. Yep. Cheers. <laughs> Great, great, great coach. Well done. Thank you for that. Um, at least you listened to the instruction. So, I'm know. nailing it. I'm big. Exactly. You're very good at listening to the coaches. Uh, what is your favourite workout? Ooh. Um, I would just say a game, like a basketball game. It's my mm-hmm. favourite. I actually don't mind going to the gym as well um, and doing some lifting. Which- my least favourite would be bike or swimming right okay i was gonna say like with like when you go into the gym as a as a basketball player is it dependent on your position like if you're you know obviously you're, you're center like are you doing different things to you know a power forward or somebody in defense like that is it dependent sort of on your position what you do for workouts? Yeah, normally we all get kind of individual programs to work on our strengths and weaknesses and um me being who i'm 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 kind of lacking in power and explosiveness. So they're often working with me in that, uh, in the gym, but my strength is pretty good. So I'll I'll keep doing that. And yeah, like you said, because I'm a center, that's quite important to be strong and physical inside. So um, yeah, definitely work on that. Whereas the guards are normally working on a lot of like fast twitch activation, jumping kind of um, agility exercises and stuff as well. Perfect. All rounders. I like that sort of uh, situation with training. If you could have lunch with just one person, who would it be? Ooh. Um, uh, Jamie Oliver. He can cook lunch Ooh. and then yeah. we'll have a chat after. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. yeah. You'd have yeah. a – like, and I can imagine though like – he would just be someone who's just not going to go, I'm just going to cook you one dish. He's going to be like, I'm going to cook yeah. you 50 dishes <laughs> exactly. and you're going to try every single – I interviewed a, a chef years ago when I was working for a newspaper and that was always a great experience because it wasn't just a case of, oh, I'll try this dish. He would just cook everything and you're like, oh, well, I'm <laughs> right. set for the next three days. I'm full. So, yeah, that would be an epic uh, lunch. Yeah, I feel like it would be a good time. We'd just cook and chat and we'd just have a great time. Yeah, great answer. I like that. Um, speaking of food, what is your favourite sandwich? Ooh. I oh I do like like a roast um roast gravy roll. Oh yes. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. Are you a chicken or a beef or doesn't really matter or? I think like if it's like that, probably a beef. But I uh-huh. I do also like a chicken avocado kind of sandwich. Ooh, yeah. too. Okay. All right. I, I don't know why I ask these questions. It just always makes me hungry at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, so makes me I, hungry right now too. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I think to teleport, mm-hmm. it'd be so cool. You'd be able to go to so many different places. I love traveling. And so yeah. um, you could go to then, Canada and New Zealand in one day. You could be like, well, I've exactly. been to Canada this morning. I'll just go to New Zealand now. <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure you could bring people with you. Just hold them yeah. and then snap your fingers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think I'd, I think that'd be cool to have one of those moments. This sounds really weird, but like just go, oh, I'm going to teleport into the Oval Office. Watch Joe Biden, like just to see what happens like <laughs> off the camera or like oh, Vladimir Putin, who's he invading today? Let's quickly go there. Like, I mean, it would just be, you know, you'd probably get promptly arrested, but I mean. You, you could, probably get into situations like that you don't want to be in though. You're like snap into a gun battle or something yeah, crazy. You exactly. Know? <laughs> but the beauty of it, you can just get out of it straight away. Like, oh, shit, sorry, boom, and then bang, yeah. you're, you're somewhere else. You know, you just got to time it right before you get shot yourself. So, That's But great. then if you get shot, you can transport yourself to a hospital. You don't have to wait for an ambulance. You're onto something here. You're onto something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, just saying. There's, there's ways out. around this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what is the best candy in the world? Australian, like. 
whatever it is, like yeah. Alan's Lollies, natural confectionery, but then mm. chocolate, uh, Cadbury's chocolate's great. Even Hague's from yep. South Australia, delicious. Yeah. I think anything I, it, Australian. It, it's a oh, shame. It's, it's, you Oh, yes. Good answer. It's a shame with like the Cadbury side of things. I literally live two minute drive from the Cadbury factory down here and they obviously don't, they don't do the tours anymore. Like growing up, they just, they, they close it off. Growing up at school, our school excursions, you'd do the Cadbury tour and you'd fill your pockets up with all the samples. It was great. But um, now they just sadly don't offer tours anymore. So, um, you can drive past it and look at it and smell the chocolate, but (laughs) that's about all you can do really. Um, as a kid, that's another one for the teleporter. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just straight in, steal all the chocolate and leave. Don't think the security would be quite as tight as, say, Putin or, or Joe mm. Biden, so you might get away with that. Uh, as a kid, who was your favourite sports team? Uh, I mean, yeah, I was in North Queensland and it was the Cowboys. North mm. Queensland Cowboys, yeah. It, they're doing all right this year. Um, yeah, you know. I haven't honestly feel, followed them since I was a kid, so. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you uh, like um, didn't mention any certain AFL teams that I'm maybe sad about still that happened on the weekend. <laughs> oh. But we, we we move on from that. Uh, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Um, I'm pretty happy where I am in Australia. I think it's, it's the best country. There's so many different options. You got cold, hot. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Beach, country. Yeah, yeah, I think it's okay. it covers all the bases. I like that. Um, I love this question because it is so open-ended. You can answer this however you want. When you were little, what was one thing you always thought? Oh. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I, it's a tough one when you think because I, I remember somebody answered literally, I was always hungry. I was like that, okay. that was me, definitely. Yeah. I was always <laughs> um, myself and my friend Adam Capon. We used to talk about this all the time. I just remember being starving because I was a <laughs> um, growing girl. <laughs> I would always ask people for food, and at lunchtime, <laughs> girl that would give me her whole lunchbox every day. Just give me everything. <laughs> give me all that yeah. sort of food. I mean, also like as a kid, like it's not like now as an adult, we can just you know cook myself something, make myself a sandwich or whatever. As a kid, like it's you, you live by your parents' rules. It's it's only four o'clock. You can have an apple. You can't wait. You got to wait till dinner. Yeah. Like that sucked. Exactly, it did suck. And then especially when you sometimes forgot that you had a sandwich in your bag that you didn't want to eat, and then you found yep. it of the next term yeah <laughs> yes. it's, it's got its own living ecosystem basically yeah. why does my bag smell what's going on here oh. uh, last question and this is again you might not have one but uh, if you do this would be great what is your favourite joke to tell <laughs> um, I don't have one <laughs> don't have one well can I tell you the joke here so that we're using this uh, questionnaire from a Canadian rugby player by the name of Bianca Farella now her okay. joke is What's orange and sounds like a parrot? I don't know. A parrot? <laughs> a carrot. Mm. Oh. Wah, wah. Well right. Yeah. Well See? Yeah. Well done. Well done Good there, job. Bianca. Thank you for that. Uh, Mariana, before we let you go, if people want to stay up to date with yourself, uh, sort of uh, obviously uh, in the lead up to the next Olympics. And again, by the time we release this, the World Cup would be over, but they can obviously uh, go back and see what you've posted through all of that, celebrating your gold medal, of course. Um, yeah. Where can they follow you? Social media, website, places like that? Yep. You can go to my social media on my name, just M-A-R-I-A-N-N-A-T-O-L-O. So it's just Mariana Tolo um, on Instagram, uh, Twitter. It's Mariana Tolo Athlete Page on Facebook. And, yeah, I do have a website as well. Um, you can just Google my name and you'll be able to find all that. Do you have TikTok? I always have to ask about TikTok. No, no TikTok. I just no got TikTok. Be Real. Um, oh, that's okay. the thing that the Opals have all joined up too so uh, right. yeah yeah is that is that like tiktok junior or like what what is B-real? no so be real is like it's a thing where you post a photo of whatever's in your camera in the background and then of you in the selfie at a specific time every day so you get a notification it's time to be real and it's supposed mm-hmm. to be um you know more authentic because you're posting whatever you're doing at the time and oh. it's not like uh choreographed or you know you're not putting yourself in the best light okay i like that interesting 
Very yeah. interesting. Okay. Well, we'll check that one out. That sounds very exciting. Uh, Mariana, really appreciate your time. It's been a lot of fun to learn about your career, basketball, everything else in between. And can I just also thank you for our, our video uh, audience right now for being the first guest we've ever had to be uh, standing next to a tree for about an hour. So uh, it's been it's been an extra uh, element of excitement in this chat today. So thank you very much for that. It's beautiful, isn't it? It really is. That's selling Launceston well. That tree, that is a famous tree that two-time Olympic basketball player Mariana Tolo was interviewed on Off the Podium with. That's a tourist attraction now in Launceston. So uh, thank you for that. No, thanks for having me on. You've been great, Ben, and um, all the best to everyone watching. And a massive thanks to Mariana there for a fantastic chat. And if you want to see the tree that I'm talking about, hit us up on YouTube. Search for the interview on our YouTube channel. And you can see now the most famous tree in all of Launceston is right in that interview there. So uh, great to have Mariana and learn a lot about those experiences across the Olympics. And we look forward to seeing her journey across through into Paris and as I mentioned of course clearly by the time you're listening to this interview that the World Cup in Australia has uh, been done and won hopefully by the Opals but uh, great opportunity there to have that event in Australia and so many big events happening in Australia across the next decade of course the Women's World Cup soccer is next year in Australia Commonwealth Games in 2026 as a Rugby World Cup and then also of course we've got the Olympics clearly in uh, 2032 so very busy time for big sporting events in Australia happening in the next decade. If you like this episode, of course, you can uh, listen to our other great episodes that we've got. Listen on all the good podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, you name it, we're on there. Search for Off The Podium, mash the subscribe button, leave us some feedback. We'd appreciate to hear what you think of the show. And as well as YouTube, as I've just mentioned, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're all on there. We're not on Be Real. Uh, we're not on TikTok. Maybe we need to add these ones to the list of things to uh, grow out there but uh, for sure follow us on all of those and you can stay up to date with everything we've got going on the show next week I will again give a bit of a tease because I like this new element that we're doing here Uh, we have an athlete funnily enough on the show who is from my home state of Tasmania I've alluded to this we've had Richo on we've had Mariana in Tasmania and our first Tasmanian athlete who has competed at the Olympics I'm pumped for this I'm excited, and to add a little bit of a a, a teaser, added to the teaser, she's just come from a very successful Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Three gold medals she won at the Birmingham Commonwealth Games. So a little bit to talk about there, and uh, we'll be very excited to have her on the show next week. And it's a sport that involves wheels. There you go. Two and two together there. I'm sure you will get that. That is next week on the podium. Big thanks again to Mariana for her time. As always, a shout-out goes to the Birmingham Bull. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium. And remember to always go left. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese. I really think so.